well, I was um, playing uh, nurse the last uh, two weeks here. My wife had a minor surgery, and it was an outpatient thing. And uh, so she was on her back for a couple days, and I was uh, home taking care of the kids and taking care of her and uh, thinking a lot about what it means to be dependent um, and started really thinking about prayer. And so what we basically have here is uh, two weeks where I just want to talk to you about prayer. I've actually been thinking about talking about this for a while. Um, I know there's been a lot of people dealing with a lot of hard things. And I think sometimes as we process really difficult things, prayer is like a lifeline for us. But sometimes those of us who aren't familiar with what prayer is or how to do it or what it looks like in uh, a Christian's life, we don't exactly know where to begin or what we should be doing or if we're doing it right. And there's kind of a, um, it feels like a learning curve sometimes when it comes to praying. And so I hope just to, uh, just to open your eyes a little bit to the idea that prayer is very accessible. It's part of our life as Christians. It's part of our connection with God. And I want to show you today what it means to be dependent on God in prayer. And then next week, I want to talk a little bit more about what it means to be um, audacious in the way that you pray. Okay, so we're going to take step one and then step two next week. Um, and then when we finish the two weeks on prayer, we're actually going to start a series for the summer where we're going to be talking about um, the life of Jacob uh, for about eight weeks. Um, we'll have a couple of guest speakers in there at some point too. So it'll pretty much carry us through the summer. We'll be working on the life of Jacob. If you want to get into Genesis and read a story ahead of time, you can do that. Um, it won't hurt you. Um, so when thinking about prayer, before we kind of like begin, we're really looking at the passage or really looking at what Jesus said about prayer. I feel like sometimes it's hard to have a conversation with people because we come from so many different places on what prayer actually should be. For a lot of us, we grew up in um, a, uh, a system, a religious system, where prayer was something that we did over and over and over. We did the same one a bunch of times in a row. It felt like something that we did to sort of pay God for the bad things that we did. You know, we did something wrong, and then we had to go say a certain number of prayers in a certain way at a certain time to kind of pay off our sin. I think for some of us, we may have grown up in maybe more of a charismatic household, so you would uh, have prayer kind of flowing more freely all the time, but you maybe were a little bit weirded out sometimes by some of the things that people were praying. Uh, I think some of us grew up maybe in a Baptist context where we just had really long prayer meetings, like super long, and everybody's just babbling on sometimes, and you're just kind of like, what is even going on here? Um, I don't necessarily... <laughs> I'm not going to really deal with all that stuff, only just to say, I'm going to show you today what Jesus says about prayer. I just kind of want to reset and help you understand what it looks like uh, to pray in your relationship with, with God. And I think sometimes we can get to a place where God has become a vending machine to us, and we pray when we need something, or we, we sort of put the right inputs in and push the button, and we expect something to pop out um, in our lives. We find ourselves in a tough spot, we pray. Uh, we find ourselves up against, uh, you know, a difficult situation, we pray. But it's not always the first place we go, and it's not always part of our everyday life. Um, and I think Jesus kind of demystifies prayer in a way. I think when he stepped onto the scene, uh, prayer did not look like what he had hoped it would look like. And so he taught his disciples, and he taught his followers how to pray. And it was very clear to them that he prayed differently than them, right? So this is uh, from Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. They're basically saying, like, Jesus, when you pray, something different is going on than what I'm doing. 
what you're doing doesn't look like what I'm doing, and I, I wish you would show me what, what it is that you're doing. Like, when I pray, this stuff doesn't look the same, but when you pray, something's different. Like, the disciples realized the way they were doing it wasn't the way that Christ was doing it. And I don't know if you've ever been around somebody like this. I had a, um, uh, a guy who lived on the next room uh, next to us in college, and he was one of those guys that was like, when he prayed, I felt like I was interrupting his relationship with Jesus. Right? There was something weird about the way he prayed, and it was like, it like taught me something. And I would ask him questions like, what's going on here when you do this? Because what you're doing doesn't look like what I'm doing, right? There's something happening when you pray that doesn't happen when I pray. I think the disciples felt the same way when they listened to Jesus pray, and they wanted to know what this looked like, this more dependent lifestyle, this more being connected to God on a regular basis. I mean, Jesus uh, put it on display, he would often, in the moments where you expected him to be doing something or where there was the busiest moments, he would kind of take off and go alone, be alone and pray. Like he knew that there was a connection to God that needed to be, um, you know, needed to, to continue to be strong in every one of those moments. And so the disciples are like, hey, can you show us what it looks like to pray? And so Jesus starts to teach them what it looks like to pray. And it's in a section where he's dealing with all kinds of religious stuff that we do, right? So he talks about giving. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. There's some, some of these religious uh, things that we do. And he talks about the motivation of somebody who prays. And so he kind of starts with the motivation. So in Matthew chapter 6, this is what he's saying. He's just come off talking about when you give, uh, it should be between you and God. It shouldn't be something you stand up in, in church and wave in front of everyone and say, here's my gift, right? He, he basically tells them that's not the right way to go. And then he tacks prayer onto it, and he talks about our motivation when we pray. Look at verse 5, Matthew chapter 6. He says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street, street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so Jesus says, your motivation when you pray has to be right, right? So there was, in their context, a lot of very spiritual people who liked being seen as very spiritual people, who would stand up in front of everyone and pray like very eloquently in front of everyone, and they wanted everyone's admiration when they prayed in front of, like this. so these were the religious people, the teachers of the law, and Jesus comes out and says, your motivation is wrong. In fact, if you do that, you've already received the reward. You've got everyone's admiration. God wasn't very impressed but all the people around you were impressed, and so you got the admiration you were looking for. But that's not what God wants you to do. Um, and I don't know if maybe you came from that background where you prayed memorized prayers and you went through a religious sort of uh, thing, but that's not really what God's looking for. He's looking for us to have the right motivation, to start praying, not because we want the admiration of other people, not even to do it necessarily around other people all the time, but there's a motivation that he's looking for from us. So he goes on in verse, verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room. like Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. He says, like, before you get started, like, let's just stop for a second. Prayer is about you and God and your relationship. Okay? You don't need to do this out in front of everyone to get their admiration. This is about you connecting with God and you you know, receiving the Father's heart through that and you asking God to be at work in your life, this is a relationship that doesn't necessarily need to be put on display all the time so that other people will admire you, 
right? This is so that you and God can know each other and have a deeper relationship with one another. And I think sometimes that weirds us out because you can't see God and sometimes it's hard to feel him. And sometimes we don't know if we're praying, it feels like it's just bouncing off, off the ceiling. And I've heard this a lot. And I think this is something that um, is, a, is a major issue when it comes to, to the world we live in and praying to God. You know, I've heard this idea, well, I prayed, I tried, and nothing happened. I think as we learn to pray, we start to pray prayers that mirror God's heart, that mirror God's will. And God takes us to a place where we start to pray his will, and he starts to change us in a way. If we come at it from the idea that I need to receive something from God, and so I'll pray, you have already failed. That's not the motivation. The motivation is to know God deeper and to have a relationship with God and to be praying for his will to be done, right? So he goes on in verse 7 and 8. He says, And when you pray, you don't need to keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's like, I don't know if you've ever been, I'm going to make fun of Baptists for a second, because I you know, grew up among Baptists. I, my first church was Baptist. I know we are part of Converge, so I can make fun of our own denomination. Uh, we're essentially from the Baptist denomination. Like, a Baptist prayer meeting sometimes turns into a lot of babbling, right? Like, Jesus is basically saying, like, you don't need to have all the correct words and verbiage. You don't need to worry about doing it correctly. It's a lot more about sharing your heart with God than doing everything correct and in the right order and making sure that you say the right things. There is no right or wrong way to pray to God. In other words, there is this connection that happens and you share your heart with God. That is really what God is intending. So you could be a trucker who, you know, prays with two words, or you can be, you know, some person who's able to be very eloquent in their prayer, and both of those things, if they're coming from the right heart, from the right motivation, is something that God is paying attention to and with you in. And when we have him in our lives, he's in that moment with us. And so we don't have to worry about doing it right or babbling. It's essentially a conversation that begins with someone that we are uh, close with. And so Jesus goes on, he says, this is how you should pray. Right? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I, he starts off this prayer, and I think we kind of get this wrong because um, I don't know when you cook, uh, if you're somebody who is a recipe follower or if you're somebody who is like a, add a pinch of this and change a little of that. Uh, I'm a recipe follower. Okay? I know that sounds weird because I break all the rules and all the rest of life. But when it comes to cooking, I don't feel comfortable cooking, and I need a recipe to follow, okay? I'm not, I don't think that I can make it taste good on my own. I want someone else to tell me why it tastes good and to give me all the ingredients and to make me do it the exact right way because they're smarter than me, and they figured this thing out, and now I'll just follow what they do, and it'll come out great. My wife is not like this, right? So uh, my kids, they love it when she makes the mac and cheese. I know this is like... I get so frustrated because it's craft mac and cheese, okay? It's very clear on the box how you should make the mac and cheese. When I make it, my kids turn their nose up at it. When she makes it, they eat the whole box. I'm like, what is the difference here? And I said, Marty, please teach me how that you make the craft mac and cheese. And she's like, well, I put in less butter and I don't measure the milk. And I'm like, that's not helpful to me at all. <laughs> my kids are never going to eat again when I'm in charge of making dinner. Like, this is not working you need to teach me how. We want formulas. I think we all want formulas. 
I think if we break down Jesus teaching us how to pray into a formula, we've lost the idea of what's really happening here. Like, we don't need to re-pray exactly what Jesus is saying word for word. It's okay for us to do that sometimes. It's okay for that to come out of our hearts when we connect with Jesus. But it's, a, it's not a formula. It's not a, you know, when I was a kid, we were taught, you know, P-R-A-Y, right? Uh, uh, pray, praise, um, no, geez, this is really going to be hard for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what the R was. Re- repentance? Yeah, repentance. A was adoration. Y was your, your requests. I don't know. That's what I remember. I had a formula. And I'd be like, okay, praise, repentance, adoration, your requests. I got to do it in this order. And so I'm going to do it like this is how I've learned to do it. And I got to make sure all these things are in this prayer, right? I got to make sure that I'm doing this like a formula. It's so weird that I don't do formulas anywhere else in my life, but I've done it with prayer for a long time. It makes it easier. We want, we want Jesus right now to just say, just say this. Like, it would make it so easy for us to just take what he says and then just say that and feel like we did what God wanted us to do. But Jesus gives us a prayer here that actually is supposed to help us remember what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. He gives us a prayer that is full of stuff that is basically so that we can reaffirm the things that are important in our lives. And I don't know about you, but I get so busy and my schedule is so crazy and things are always moving so fast that... I need to stop and remember the things that are most important to me. And prayer is one of those things that does that. When we pray, we get a chance to reaffirm the gospel in our life every single time that we pray. When you start to forget how lucky you are that God has forgiven you and wants a relationship with you and loves you, prayer is something that brings you back to that place where you can reaffirm Jesus' gospel in your life. So he starts off by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, be your name. He's basically telling us we should reaffirm the idea that God is way up above us, that he is a father, that he loves us, that his name is to be honored, that he is, you know, we, we are here and he is here. It's to put ourselves in the position that we are in and to put him in the position that he deserves. Right? It's for us to reaffirm the idea that God is supreme that he is all-knowing and all-powerful. Why would I pray to someone who can't affect my life at all? It's for me to stop and remember and reaffirm that, that Jesus is supreme, that God is a Father who wants to give us good gifts, that we put him in his place. We reaffirm who he is. It's a chance for us to stop and remember and reaffirm who God is. Jesus goes on, he says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? He's teaching us to reaffirm the idea that we need to love God's will and we need to love God's kingdom and not our will and not our kingdom. This is one of the hardest things to break as a Christian. You become a Christian to break this idea of selfishness and turn this into a lifestyle of selflessness. Right, for us to then, again, remind ourselves, right, that given to ourselves, we will serve ourselves. Given to ourselves, we will get ourselves into trouble. Given to ourselves, that we will do things that will hurt other people. But when I pray, God's will be done, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what I'm essentially praying is, Jesus, would you use me to bring your kingdom and your will to this earth which is broken all around me, and would you help me bring heaven to all the places that I am going every single day? Would you help 
use me in a way that brings heaven to other people's lives because I'm learning to live selflessly. Jesus did this in the garden before he went to the cross. I mean, his prayer was, any other way, God. And at the end, he said, your will be done. Right? It, we have to break ourselves of the habit of serving ourselves and the selfishness that we will go to. And it's a way for us to reaffirm this idea that we are called to a selfless life. And prayer starts to become powerful when we start praying God's will. You know, if you start off praying and you start off with prayers where you're asking God for things and when you're asking God to be active in your life, that's great. But we need to grow to the place where we are praying God's will on an everyday basis, even when it doesn't align with ours. That's when your prayer starts to become powerful, when you are essentially aligning yourself with God's will. You're saying, not mine, not my selfishness, not my sin, not me. God, you use me to bring your kingdom here, to make your will happen, to connect with your people, to bring heaven to earth in this way. It's a chance to reaffirm God's will and our selfless action in responding to him. He goes on, he says, uh, give us today our daily bread. So he says, ask the God who owns everything, who has all of the resources for the things you need. And in fact, it's okay to do that. We want to be uh, able to control everything in our lives. We want to have the answer within ourselves. We want to be able to solve the problems of all the other people. Like, I don't know how you feel about it, but as a dad, like, I want to fix everything for my kids. I want to fix everything for my wife. I want to fix everything for my parents. I want to fix everything for my siblings. I want to be the fixer. I want to have a solution for everyone's problems. I want to be able to step in and solve people's problems. When you guys come to me, I want to step in and solve your problem. But guess what? I don't have the answers, and neither do you, and I don't have the provisions, and neither do you. And when we stop and remember that God is the one that has what we need, it's a chance to reaffirm, it's a chance to reaffirm that God is the provider and that he uses us. He uses us in the lives of all the people around us. He brings the provision, okay? And we ask him, it's a chance for us to, again, have a, when we have a hard time asking for help, it's a chance for us to, to be able to put him in his place and receive his provision in our life and not be uh, doing it all on our own, okay? Self-sufficiency is not what God is calling us to. He's calling us to God-dependence, God-dependence. And this is really hard. In our day, in our culture, in our world, I don't know how you feel, but this is probably where I struggle the most because I would rather solve the problem and then pray and thank God for the provision that I provided. Nobody else, just me? <laughs> Thanks, God, for that, you know. What would happen if next time you really needed God to provide, you stopped and prayed first? You said, hey, God, don't let me be self-sufficient in this moment. Help me to be dependent on you. Help me to turn over my will, to turn over my selfishness, and turn over my sin, to turn over my need to solve everyone's problems, my need to be loved and accepted by other people by providing for them, and to hand that to you and receive what you have. What he has for you is better than anything that you can do on your own. So sometimes we're putting a Band-Aid on something when he wants to heal the wound, right? So it's an it's a issue of God-dependency, not self-sufficiency. And it's a chance to reaffirm when we pray that God is our provider, that he is Jehovah Jireh. He's the one who provides. He has everything that we need. 
And then verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And here we have action, right? We have something that we're doing in the process. He, he basically, Jesus is saying, look, um, I want you to understand and remember what God has done for you, and I want that to come out into the life that you live, right? So every time that you start to pray, I want you to take some time and reaffirm the idea that you would be lost without Jesus' sacrifice in your life, and that Jesus has called you to give that same self-sacrifice to others in your world. That our religion is not just about how we uh, worship God, but it's also about how we treat other people. There's two pieces to this. This is why we love the Lord our God with all your heart and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. There's two pieces to what it means to follow God. It's not just enough for us to say, hey, thanks God for wiping away all of the sin in my life, for making me new, for giving me a new identity, and now I'll just be happy with that, and I'll go and live on my own in my own little bunker where I won't have to deal with the rest of the world. No, he calls us to take that and to show other people that in the way that we live, in the way that we treat others. And so he's saying, don't forget Jesus has forgiven you and that you need to also be forgiving other people. This is why we do communion, by the way, because we need to remember what Christ has done in our lives. We're fickle people who will forget quickly. Verse 13, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So he says, and finally, I want you to, to pay attention here. God is the one who can protect you. God is the one who has all the power. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and when we serve Jesus, we receive that same authority that was given to Christ, is now given to us. We don't have to worry about temptation. We can be free. We don't have to worry about the enemy. We, we can overcome. Like these are things that are offered to us in our relationship with Jesus, and we need to reaffirm the idea that Christ is supreme. He is the preeminent. He is the most powerful, and we serve him. We can be delivered from the things that we struggle with in our lives. And I don't, I don't know about you, but there have been moments in my life where I'm struggling with something so hard, and I've just sort of given up trying. And when we pray, we're reaffirming the idea that freedom is available, that we can overcome the things of this world, that we don't have to live in sin, that we don't have to be weighed down by the stuff in our lives that we can have freedom in Christ. It's a chance to reaffirm what God is doing and what's available to us as people who have an identity in Jesus. And then lastly, he finishes the section, verses 14 and 15. Uh, so when you've read the Lord's Prayer before, you may have uh, added on a little tag there, right? For thine is the... Yeah, I didn't want to misquote it, so thanks for doing that for me. Um, it's really interesting, actually. Uh, different translations uh, will have that little tag, and other translations won't. And in fact, it was uh, there's a little bit of a disagreement on where that actually came from, but in the most original translations, it's not there. But if you go back and read the King James, it's there, right? So you may have grown up saying the Lord's Prayer and adding on the little tag, and the, the NIV, which we're reading today, uh, the ESV, which, which is another great translation if you're interested, neither of them have the tag in their uh, version because the original texts that we have don't have the tag. So it's interesting. But I like the idea of closing your prayer by saying, uh, God, you are powerful. You are the one that this is all about. This is all about Jesus. This is all about your power. This is not me. This is you. right? So for thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. Something like that. And then Jesus continues teaching in Matthew chapter 6 for two more verses. He says, 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your, your sins. So he, he brings it back to our behavior. So he says, like, when you pray, you should do all these things. You should reaffirm the gospel in your life. You should reaffirm God's uh, position in your life. You should reaffirm that he's the one that provides for you. You should reaffirm that you do this in his power. You should reaffirm that the gospel is good news, not just for you, but for everyone else in your life. You should reaffirm the uh, forgiveness of sins that he brings into your world. This is a chance for you to reaffirm all of these things and to build your relationship with Jesus, to build your relationship with God, to have this moment between you and God, not necessarily out in public. You don't have to say all the flowery words, but it's a chance for you to stop and remember what God is doing. Jesus gave us two uh, things that we do on a regular basis. One is prayer, and the other is communion, and both of these things are to help us remember the things that God has done, the power that God has, the availability of his provision, uh, and the, the good news of the gospel in our lives. That as we pray, we need to remember that's the point of this. Not that we put in the stuff and push the buttons and receive things out like a vending machine. There's not a formula to prayer. This is a relationship that happens in prayer. That as we uh, center ourselves and reaffirm these things in our lives, that we begin to pray God's will. We begin to live the way that God wants us to live. We begin to be free from the things that are weighing us down. We begin to have the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of sin. All of these things become part of our everyday life. And I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like to be dependent on, on God is not an easy thing. It's not something I do naturally. I want to be dependent on myself. Prayer helps me reaffirm the gospel in my life and helps me reaffirm that I need to be dependent on Jesus. You know, as I was waiting on my wife the last couple of days, it's like I realized sometimes that I'm the one in the bed, right? I'm the one that can't get up. I'm the one that can't provide. I'm the one that can't do what I need to do. And I'm the one who's ringing the bell or texting the person in the other room or being like, guys, don't forget about me in here, right? Like, that's me in that bed. And that God is able to provide for all the things that I need, that I need to find a way to be dependent on him. And that is not easy. That's what he calls us to do as we reaffirm the gospel every day when we pray. Okay, so next week I'm going to talk to you guys about how we should pray. Okay? I'm going to talk to you about what it looks like to pray in an audacious way and to pray for the heart of the Father. I'm going to pray to close our time here. Jesus, would you help us to see the sin of our self-sufficiency? Would you help us to see that you have everything that we need, that you have called us to be dependent on you, and you've given us prayer in order for us to bring our hearts closer to yours? God, would we begin to depend on you in those moments when we want to be self-sufficient? Would you help us to reaffirm the gospel in our lives each time that we pray? Would you help us to live the gospel in our lives on a daily basis as we come in contact with a world that needs to see it on display? And Jesus, as we draw near to you, we know that your word says that you draw near to us. So God, as we take the step of praying, not with the most eloquent words, not you know publicly so that we can be seen by everyone, but but as we build our relationship, God, would you draw near to us and show us what it looks like to be dependent on your spirit, to be free from the things of this world, 
and to, and to be asking you for all the things that we need in this, in this life. Would you help us to stop and remember what it is that you've done and to reaffirm your gospel each and every time we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.